Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans 13, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out the God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, good morning. All right, good morning. We're awake. All right. Good morning, those of you on the live stream. I think I could hear you. Uh, this morning saying good morning. Anyway, I hope you got your Bibles open and you brought them with you because we will be using them uh, as we do every Sunday, but particularly this Sunday we'll be diving in and and thinking deeply this morning as we consider the state and, and the role of government and God's purposes for it. And really over the past several months, we have been working through this series that I've entitled Living Christianly. And the reason we've been going through this is, is, is really because we're, we're looking at our world, and I know many of us are, are thinking and, and being pressed with questions as we watch events unfold before us. How do we respond Christianly? What should we think about these things? And so really we've been engaging this. We've been looking at, uh, at various issues from what it means to be made in the image of God. What does it mean fundamentally to be made male and female? What's God's role for the family? What's God's role for work? And, and today we're going to be looking at God's purposes for the state. And in all these things, we're, we're thinking about fundamental building blocks for how God's world is shaped and how God intends it to be run. And we need... During these confusing times, this time of turmoil and unrest, as we're looking at at an election season that we're in, um, these questions are going to continue to swirl. And where I want to encourage you as your pastor, I want to encourage you to be anchored in Christ. Because there are swirling currents seeking to pull you in every direction. And if you are not laid hold to Christ and you do not understand what his will is, you can be swept away. So I want to remind us this morning that no matter what happens in the world, this is our Father's world. He is the creator and he is the sustainer of this universe. 
And though the world does not recognize him as God, does not honor him as God, does not give thanks to him as God, that should not be so among us, amen? That should not be. And as Paul has made a shift in the book of Romans, turning to how one lives, he has, he has spent 11 chapters unpacking the gospel in all its depth, in all its breadth. He now turns and says, what does this look like for you as a Christian? And he says, by the mercies of God, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. I think a lot of times we as Christians, when we come to these situations, we, we look to our concordance and try to find answers, try to find a proof text. Oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. And actually, we need to dive in and put the whole Bible together and be able to think deeply and dig roots and think about God's wisdom in the world. And this is really what I've been trying to do for us and help us do over the last four weeks. I want us, as Paul says here in Romans 12, 2, that we may discern what is the will of God, his acceptable, good, and perfect will. I want us to understand that when we believe the gospel, when we believe the good news about Jesus Christ, his redemption that he has wrought for us on the cross, his death and resurrection and the atonement that it has brought for us, yes, it washes away our sins and that is primary, but I want you to know that God has not just rescued us so that we may be concerned with him when we die, but no, he has reconciled us, redeemed us from the curse of sin, making us right with him so that now we may begin to live lives pleasing to him. That when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, that when we get off our knees and we walk out that door, we seek to bring about that will to be done in our life. I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ has impact in how you live and think about every facet of who you are and what you do. You don't have your own little personal area that he doesn't get to touch. You don't have your free-thinking mind. No, we are to take every thought and make it captive and obedient to Christ. Now, we all know we fall short, don't we? We do. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, what, what, what's he talking about? Your minds are drifting already, right? It, it, it is part of being fallen in the flesh. But, and praise God that his blood covers a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean that our heart and our disposition isn't, I want to take every thought captive and obedient to you because I know your will is good. It is pleasing. It is good for my soul. and is good for everyone around me. And I want us to see that every facet includes the state. And so this morning, here's our goal this morning, and we got a lot. If you were talked to anybody in the previous service, we went long. I'll see what I can do this time, okay? But I want us to see, we got this up on the screen, I want us to see that God's reign over the universe extends even into the state, the government, which has been instituted by him to promote what is good, restrain what is evil, and to allow what concerns redemption. Why? So that you and I may fulfill our purpose, our mission as the church in pointing people to know Jesus. That's our goal. That's God's goal in 
establishing government. And, and I want us to see this, that government, the state, has been instituted by God. If you're in Romans 13, this is what Paul gets at in our text in verse 1. He says, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist, those authorities, have been instituted by God. What does that mean? What does it mean that the authorities of the world were instituted by God? What's he getting at? Well, two things. First, what I want us to understand as we think about this phrase, instituted by God, that Paul is affirming the reality that all authority structures are instituted and created, instilled into the world according to God's design. In other words, God has established the world in such a way that there are authority structures. And why are these authority structures there? To teach every human being who ever walks upon the face of this earth that they are a person under authority. Everywhere. That's why the family is so crucial. Every one of you has been birthed and put in some context of family with people who told you what to do, right? Why? So that you may learn in God's design that you are a person under authority. And that doesn't change wherever you go. There's always authority. And so as it concerns the state, God instituted this authority in response to something. The state is in response to the wickedness of man on the earth. And really where I want you to maybe turn or, or you can look up on the screen is in Genesis 9. This is the acorn, the seed of which God instills within the, the new world after the flood with law, with government, with law and protection for how people are to relate. And why did the flood occur? Because when God looked at men and women upon the earth, he saw that their thoughts and intentions were evil continually. And so he wiped out the whole earth, recreated, started over with Noah. And then we get this in Genesis 9, 5. The Lord says, for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from men. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. If a wild beast kills a person, the beast is to be put down. If a person kills a person, the person is to be killed. Now, this isn't a one-on-one -on -one individual vengeance. This is establishing a societal norm, law, if you will. And what is law? What is this warning? What is this law put in place to restrain evil in the world? It's setting the foundation for a civil punishment that matches crime. And the rest of the Old Testament pulls from this to even talk about different crimes and how the punishment should meet the crime. Why? Because we live in a sinful world and, and God establishes government to restrain it. If you ever read the book of Judges, what's the point of the book of Judges? The book of Judges has awful things happening throughout the entire book. People end up getting their bodies chopped up and sent throughout the city. And gross immorality is happening. And what does Judges conclude? 
There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What's the point? Chaos ensues when there's no government. Chaos. It will destroy the world. We even think about the book of Proverbs. Proverbs even speaks about pagan nations and pagan kings and says that those who rule well do so because they have perceived God's design in the world. Proverbs chapter 8. This is wisdom personified speaking. This is God's wisdom talking and says, I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. When we look at all the governments, all the societies throughout history, those who are run well, those that are run justly, even in a pagan sense. We're not even talking about Christian government, if such a thing exists. They rule according to God's design in a world. It's woven into the fabric. And so there's a general revelation from God, a wisdom from God that we can all see. The heavens declare the glory of God. All creation declares His power and might. It's built in so that the world may function according to God's design. It reflects Him in some way. Kings and princes and nobles will govern accordingly. Now, here's the deal. Right now, every one of us are being told that institutions, power structures, and government are all bad. It's all bad. They're inherently evil. They're inventions of men. And if we can remove such structures, then there will be true peace and flourishing and prosperity on the earth. And this happens at every fundamental level. Whether it's the family whether it's all the way to the top in government. And I want you to know that's not true. What we are seeing in the scriptures, even Paul affirming here and drawing on a whole theology and applying it to the church in Rome, is that structure and power are not inherently evil. That doesn't mean there aren't evil people part of it, and there aren't sinful things that occur, and they are abused. That doesn't mean all that. But the structures in and of themselves aren't inherently evil evil, they're, they're actually a reflection of God's order in the world. They actually originate from God himself. And so this is what Paul is getting at first and foremost when he says the governing authorities are instituted by God. It's rooted in the new creation after the flood. But there's another element that we need to consider. Not only does God institute the structures that we see, but he's actually sovereign over every person who makes up of them. He is sovereign to every person who is placed in these structures, in those authority places, even if they are evil people who abuse their power. Just because the person in power is godless doesn't mean that God isn't in control over it. This is where we as Christians, we can find rest no matter who is in power. We can find rest knowing that even under godless and immoral men and women, and surely we do have them all throughout our government society, we can rest that they aren't there by accident. 
The same God who raised up Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament to judge Assyria for wiping out and imprisoning Israel, also to come raise up Nebuchadnezzar to judge Israel. And then God also raised up Cyrus, a godless man, to come in and wipe out Babylon. And then guess what? Alexander the Great came with the Greeks, and he came out and wiped out Cyrus and all his, his, his army. And then Guess what? Then the Roman Empire came up. And this has happened over and over and over again. And the same God who raised up all those godless people to accomplish his purposes in the world, even purposes for judgment, is the same God who put Barack Obama and Donald Trump in office. It's the same God. Sometimes I hear people say, depending on if they like the candidate or not or whoever's president, man, that's God's man. It's always God's man or woman. It's always, and I know what they mean, they think that they're doing his will in some particular way, but what I want you to understand is actually they're always, even their evil purposes cannot thwart the purposes of God. They actually accomplish it. And so this is what Paul is referring to here. It's instituted by God. We can rest, we can be in subject to it, because it's not like, oh, what, what happens now? You know, this person doesn't recognize Jesus. Guess what? Most rulers haven't. That doesn't affect it. Daniel prays and acknowledges this truth. And in Daniel chapter 2, he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets them up. Did you know that? Every king that has ever served, every president, every governor, every mayor, every authority who has ever been in place, they are there for the allotted amount of time that God has determined. And then he roots them up and he places somebody else there. Did you know that? Every single one, there's not an exception. And Daniel recognizes this. And so, brothers and sisters, what I want you to see is that the state is instituted by our sovereign God who reigns over all. He is ruler over all. He's the Lord of lords, king of kings. Even those who do not honor him or give thanks to him as God. So if the state has been instituted for, by God, what is its purpose? What's, it per, what's its purpose? Well, the state is to promote what is good, and that's what Paul gets at here in Romans 13. He says, for rulers, verse 3, are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Now, Paul, what's he talking about here? He's talking about the Roman Empire, a pagan empire. You think our government leaders have an ego problem. Caesar thought he was the son of God himself, the son of Zeus. And everyone had to claim he was Lord. And yet Paul could say, he's God's servant for your good. So how can he do that? What good could a pagan, godless state bring? Again, this is where we need to understand God's common grace in the world. What's common grace? This is God's grace by which he sustains the world even when it, in its fallen and corrupt condition. Jesus says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. God's blessings come upon all in a sustaining fashion, and that includes the state. And so what we need to understand here is in God's common grace upon all peoples, 
is that God has woven into the fabric of creation and our human conscience a knowledge of that which is morally upright. Theologians have often called this natural law. And so no matter where you go, transcends all cultures, all places, it is always wrong to murder, it is always wrong to steal, it is always wrong to commit adultery, and it's always wrong to lie. You say, how do you know that? Because everybody who does it hides it. Everybody hides it. It's wrong for everybody except me whenever you do it, right? And you talk to anybody, even in the most perverted sense of sexual morality, those people want to be honored and loved and don't want to be cheated on, do they? And you know about it when they are because they go on Facebook and they blast that person and everyone piles on and says, you're right for telling them off. And they all jump in with this moral self-righteousness. Why? Because they know it's wrong to be wronged. Right? I'd say know that. Everybody knows that. Even if they're warped in what's wrong. And that's a grace from God. We know it as love your neighbor as yourself. The world has adopted and gives their own little lingo, the golden rule, right? Treat others as you like to be treated. Where did that come from? Instilled in the fabric of creation. And it actually helps promote what's good in the world, even when it's perverted in some sense. This is a gift from God. So any good government, if you're thinking about government, even the Roman Empire, you think about our government, you even think about some of these communist governments that we would certainly not want any good government seeks what honors the dignity of every citizen, right? They want what's good for their citizenships. Why? Because it's good for them. They want the opportunity for prosperity and their right for justice when wronged. Now, not every government does that as good as other governments. And then there are awful governments that, that don't do this at all. Guess what? They're destroying their society. But generally speaking... Governments who do well adhere to natural law, some sense of order. And so the good that Paul talks about here, to do what is good, to approve what is good, I mean, you could summarize it, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul will actually say that in, in verses 8 through 10. But I want you to understand that, that any government that abandons that, that concept of what is good in a general sense, actually will destroy its own citizens. What do I mean by that? If a government fails to recognize that it is constrained, there are some constraints in the world woven into the fabric of society, if it seeks to break all constraints in the world, all the natural law, it will be destructive for, toward society. And yet, here's the deal. Those who wish to break all restraint often couch it in a promise of utopia. They always promise you no more poverty, no more shame. You'll have love. You'll have freedom. You can have all these things. And you know what it sounds like? It sounds like the serpent in the garden. And says, oh, no, no, no. God knows that if you eat of this fruit... You'll be like him. You'll be like him. He's holding out on you. And so there's a godless ideology that Satan wants to even destroy the foundations of the world 
And this unconstrained ideology, I have this up on the screen because I want you to think about this carefully. An unconstrained ideology, one that doesn't recognize any moral norm. Here's what they, here's, here's kind of their MO. Sees human potential as having no bounds. And that government can control results which create perfect justice, equity, and peace for every person. So what's wrong with that? Wouldn't we want that? We want our government to create perfect justice, equity, peace for every person? Well, as Christians, our alarm bells should be going off knowing that such a society cannot exist under human rule. We are longing for the king who judges with perfect equity. And so a government that does that, it wants to encroach upon every fabric and even control the thoughts and minds and intention to create what they call equality of all, which means sameness of all. No boundaries. If we can eliminate all forms of structure, we can somehow achieve an equality for everyone, which is absolutely insanity. You'll destroy every sense of good in society. And so adopting this mindset, it kind of has a Messiah complex. The government's your savior and seeks to control every facet of your life in order to achieve the societal ideal. And this means, brothers and sisters, that any form of restraint, think about a continuum. There's, There's governments that recognize these constraints, just built in in natural law, the way the world is made, and then you got those who want to reject that. The further you go, any constraint is viewed as an obstacle that must be eliminated if you go that way. This is the philosophy of Genesis 11 in the building of the Tower of Babel. We can build the perfect society for ourselves without God, without any sense of our authority and our creator. We can do it without you. And this is why abortion, for instance, is so crucial to this ideology, to the progressive vision of America. Why? Because babies in the womb of a woman are a hindrance to this utopia. That's what it is. How is that? Well, because we want equality for all. In this, no distinctions, no authority, no structures, no difference. We want equality for all, and here's the deal. If a woman has to have a baby, she can't do everything a man can do. Therefore, in order to achieve that, we must kill the baby. Same thing in poverty. Hey, we look at poverty in the world, and we, and we see these awful things that happen. And we see, actually, all the stats show An intact family is the number one deterrent to poverty and a life of crime. But instead, we make it possible on the other extreme that that we want no bounds of the family. We don't even want binary anymore, male and female. Why? Because it's too restraining. I can't be everything I want to be. So we want to neuterize the whole world. It's insanity. It's literally killing people. And so as you're thinking about these things, looking at the world, often it's couched in justice. 
even in abortion, it's reproductive justice. Somehow I'm wrong. I'm being wronged if I don't have the right to murder this child and fulfill my dreams. Once you go down that road, human potential is endless. We're all told that, right? You can be whatever you want to be. False. You can't. Sorry if I crushed some dreams today. You can't be everything you want to be. If I, I wanted to be as good as Michael Jordan. I wanted to be. And it would be absurd for me to say it is unjust that I'm not 6'4 and I can dunk from the free throw line. Give me some of your ability so that we're equal. But that's, that's the message. Everything. Give me so everybody has the same, which destroys everything. Actually, God's world is much more beautiful than that. It's much more beautiful. He's created everyone in his image differently, complimenting. More can be said about that. We'll, we'll look at that next week as we consider what justice is. But even with all that negativity, and I know I've been a little Debbie Downer uh, at this point, come back to God's common grace. Even as our society continues to erode its own foundations, I want you to see that even in this warped world, God's design, at the most fundamental level, treat others as you would want to be treated, typically still brings grace in the world and you will be approved. You will be, generally speaking. That doesn't mean you're never wronged. You are going to be wronged. But generally speaking, if you consider people as more important than yourselves, the way you treat, you will find favor in the world. That's how God has made it to be. But what do we do when citizens don't? What do we do? Well, God is gracious with the state who restrains evil. At least that's his intent. And again, look in, in verse 4 of what, what Paul says here. He says, he is God's servant. Who's the he? That's the governing authority. He is God's servant, his deacon. That's the word deacon in the scriptures. For your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. The scriptures are filled with this principle. The Lord has made it in fabric and woven it into the society of wisdom. Go read the book of Proverbs and you watch the news and you will see the fool on full display. And the world has been woven in such a way that those who live foolishly, that plot for blood, who are quick to steal, who are drunkards, who lie and cheat, who set traps for another, guess what? You will hang yourself. That's how the world is made. And that includes even in the government structures. And so we are seeing things, and, and I'm not talking about anything necessarily in particular, but we've seen enough of where we have seen those whose lives are characterized by poverty, characterized by crime, theft, murder, drugs. And it should grieve us when we see in the streets lives taken. But Paul says, if you live like that, you should be afraid. 
Because this is God's judgment. Now let me say something. Because I know these are sensitive topics right now. And if it was any one of our sons or daughters or family member, we would be weeping. We would wish, why, why couldn't have this happened? And we should be sensitive to this. We should be gracious. But brothers and sisters, when we see this happen, this isn't the place to go. See, if you just obey the law, you wouldn't have this trouble. Life is much more complicated than that. Yes, that's the truth. You fear those in authority, you do what was good, generally speaking, you will have nothing to worry about. You don't run from them, you don't pull a knife on them, you don't pull a gun on them, you aren't doing drugs, you, you, your life will, generally speaking, have no trouble with the law and government. Or even at the high crime, you, you aren't cheating people, tax evasion, all those things you have nothing, generally speaking, to worry about. But on the other side, we as Christians understand the brokenness of this world, how the foundations of what it means to be a human, what it means for family, and we are seeing the fruit of this erosion of the foundational design of God in society, and it should break our hearts. We don't want any more people shot by police. We don't want people wrongly accused. We don't want any of these things. And so as Christians in the church, we actually want to come in and call them to Christ to believe the gospel and call them from living that kind of life to aligning themselves with the wisdom of God. Doesn't mean they'll do it perfectly, but there is a way in which God's world works best. And if you fight it, it will kill you. That's why children, even the most fundamental Structure of society, children, obey your parents, for this is right. And this command comes with a promise that you may what? Live. Children, right now, the way you speak, think of, and look to your family will determine how long you live. It really will. You abandon that basic fu fundamental structure, your life will lead to death. That is, that's a general statement. But it's true. My mommies and daddies tell you don't run in the street to keep you from dying. All right. Where are we? What do we do if the government is unjust, though? Yeah, it's supposed to restrain evil, and we can point out injustices everywhere, can't we? We can find corrupt politicians. We can look at it all and say, oh, and it's tempting to, and really almost morally um, inspiring to say it's all corrupt. We should destroy it all. Actually, you know, I'm sure there was corruption going on, abuse occurring in every level of the government in the Roman Empire. Doesn't mean it's okay. But what do we do when the government itself is unjust? I think really practically, especially for us, and as, as thinking about American citizens, well, whatever extent the law permits us, and as long as it aligns morally um, with, our, with the scriptures, we can take action to hold our governing authorities accountable. We can vote. We can write. We can petition. We can go stand at a courthouse and make our voice heard. We can do those things. Our government, we have much blessing here to be able to rightly speak when injustices occur and hold our governing authorities accountable. 
Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans 13, does, does this. I want you to flip over one book to your left, to Acts chapter 16. As you turn there, you might be familiar with this text. This is where Paul and Silas go to Macedonia, the city of Philippi, and they, they witness to Lydia outside the city. She comes to faith in Christ. They're walking in the city, and there is a slave girl who's demonically possessed, and she has an owner and, and does lots of things to make this owner lots of money. She's following them, and they turn around, share Christ with her. She radically is converted, abandons her life of sorcery, and is redeemed from this injustice in the world. She's a slave, and now she's freed. But this doesn't make that owner very happy. And so you see in Acts chapter 16, verse 20, what, what does this owner do? Actually, verse 19, when the owner saw that their hope of gain was gone, no, they've rescued her out of our sex slave industry. Now we can't make money off of her and abuse her because she's now following Christ. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them, that's Paul and Silas, and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them there safely. (laughs) Talk about injustice. You're rescuing a woman from a life of slavery and oppression and abuse. Because she's turned and she's found the the liberating gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will find, brothers and sisters, most of this isn't about justice. It's about give us what we want. And you'll be beaten for it. We'll burn down your business if you don't give it to us. This happens to Paul. Even the police get involved in this. They beat them in front of the whole crowd. Yes, these are troublemakers. And they believe this false accusation that has come against them. Now what happens while Paul's in jail? They willingly go, beaten and bruised. They sing hymns in the jail, giving praise to God. An earthquake comes, the doors open, And the jailer's like, oh no, all the prisoners are going to be released. I'm going to die. So he's about to commit suicide. And Paul says, stop. Some of us would be like, yeah, kill yourself so we can get out of here. Paul says, stop. We're all here. We're not rebels. We're not troublemakers. The man says, how how can I be saved? Paul's able to lead him and his family to faith in Christ. Maybe they go outside. There's a nice fountain outside the jail. I don't know. But they go and they get baptized in that fountain. The next day comes. Verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these things to Paul saying, hey, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come come out now and go in peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul says, no. Verse 37. They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. 
Let them come themselves and take us out. What's Paul doing? He's saying, you have been unjust to one of your citizens. You have publicly accused us falsely, beaten us falsely in front of this whole town. You are not going to then sweep this under the rug by letting us go out secretly. You're going to come here, get us yourselves, and walk out and let everybody know we are innocent. He's doing that. And he's doing it rather forcefully. Now, you might be thinking, that's right. We should stand up to the government. We should do this, and we tell them what to do. But do you know why Paul is doing this? Do you know why? He doesn't do this every time. He has the freedom to do it, but he doesn't do it every time. Why does he do it here? Because the crowds think right now, because there was a government injustice, didn't restrain evil. They promoted what was evil and restrained what was good. They flipped it. Paul's letting them know. But Paul is doing this to uphold the law to protect the Christians that are going to be left behind. He says, no, no, you're not going to treat us badly and then just sweep us away because he knows this was against the law and is not good for your citizens and he wants to protect the believers, Lydia, the Philippian jailer, all these from also this injustice to continue. You can speak against injustices. Same Paul who wrote Romans 13 acted in Acts 16. So it doesn't mean that we can never speak out. It means that we can hold them accountable according to righteousness. We can remain subject to them as long as they are holding to what is just and right. And we make whatever recourse available to us to hold them accountable. But let's say they said no. <laughs> let's say you do everything you're supposed to do. You wrote to your senator. You protested out the abortion complex. You, you were there on the march for life. You, you've done all these things peacefully and you get no results. You just get a thank you for coming. We appreciate you. We'll listen to your concerns. But nothing changes. Injustice just keeps happening. Is that when we say we're burning this place down? No. Guess what, brothers and sisters? There's going to be injustice in the world. That doesn't mean that we're okay with it. But there's going to be times that you can't do anything about it. It's going to. And I want you to know that the scriptures don't leave you helpless. They don't leave you without answers. They don't leave you without options. I remember one of our trips in Haiti. There was a woman who came to the church crying, and you could see her arm was broken. She whelped, began to ask for our translator what had happened, and essentially she had burnt her husband's food, and he took a, a log, and he hit her on the arm and broke her arm. And I don't know all the laws in Haiti, but it, it seemed to suggest that, hey, we can tell it to the authorities, but there's likely nothing that can be done. What do you do? What do you do? Because let me tell you, that's most of the world. Is there no hope? Does Christ not have anything for this woman? I think as a church, this was a member, you can discipline that man. 
You may try to help this woman, bandage her wounds, get a doctor, pay for her, try to help her. And you might say, well, get her out of that house so she's free. No, to leave that house would mean certain death for her. Because she'd be on the streets, there'd be nowhere to go. What do you do when there's no justice? Peter writes a whole letter about this, 1 Peter. I think it's a forgotten letter, and many of us think, no, I take matters into my own hands. And here in the States, we have recourse. We can take things to law. That, that doesn't necessarily have to happen. But what, what if you've done everything and the whole system's against you? What do you do? This is what Peter says. I think we have this up on the screen. 1 Peter 4, he he says to the Christians, he says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And he concludes in verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will, even your sufferings under his sovereign care, Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And Peter writes this in a context that would have been very much like what I experienced in Haiti. To women who are in a household with an unbelieving spouse, what do you do when there is no justice? Don't murder him. Don't be a meddler. Don't be a wrongdoer. What do you do when the empire is against you? Let no one suffer for doing wrong. Let them suffer for being a Christian. And the ultimate example that Peter gives to the church, he gives to us, is you're now in the position of Christ who suffered the greatest injustice in human history. The whole system was against him. Falsely accused, betrayed by a friend, the whole thing was rigged. And what did Christ do? As for an example for us, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.22, Christ committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, what? Entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Brothers and sisters, when we can find no justice in this world, we're always entrusting ourselves to the one who judges justly who has the whole world in his hands. We are entrusting ourselves to the one who is going to come and judge the living and the dead, who's going to judge every person according to righteousness when he comes. The one who will sit in his throne is righteousness and justice, who judges the poor with equity because he knows the thoughts and intentions of every heart. Brothers and sisters, there's going to be abuses we want to eliminate them as best as we possibly can. There's going to be injustices. There's going to be wrongs in this world. And that you are never going to have the ability or voice to, to write. And in those times, we entrust ourselves to our sovereign Lord. And actually, it's in those times that we're most like Christ. Like a sheep led to slaughter. Because though the beast thinks he wins... By spilling our blood, we find out that we conquer him by not loving our lives even unto death. 
Unfortunately, in this country, we have a lot of freedoms, a lot of laws that help protect us. This is, so far, a, a government and a structure that understands some constraint. Brothers and sisters, we need to lastly understand that we can have this submissive attitude. Paul can say in Romans 13, be subject to governing authorities, even pagan authorities, corrupt authorities. Because we understand that God's ultimate goal in the state is to allow what is redemptive. What do I mean by that? God has brought order to the world, structure to the world, so that he may have his children in the world, a sinful world, to redeem the world. And when a government's functioning well, guess what? We can do our work, can't we? We can do our work without fear. We can gather this morning without fear. We can go outside and we can share Christ without fear. It's not the same for our brothers and sisters in China, is it? It's a blessing that we have. And so, brothers and sisters, where I want to exhort you, we want to be the best citizens that the government will approve of. Let us never suffer for being a murderer, a thief, or a meddler. Let us not be that. Let us not be troublemakers. Let them think, yes, they're weird, but they are good citizens. Right? That's okay. This is why the church is exhorted in 1 Timothy 2. And this is where we're going to close. You can turn there. 1 Timothy 2, Paul exhorts the church. He tells the church to pray. To, to, to offer supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings to be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. We did that this morning. We've done that the last three Sundays, by the way. Why do we do that? I have it underlined for you. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Why do we want to be subject? Why do we not want to stir the pot? Why do we not want to overturn structures and fight the government on everything? Because we want to live peaceful and quiet lives. And we want to pray for them. We want them to know we pray for you. We support you. We encourage you. We pray that you will judge according to righteousness. And yes, we do, like Paul, hold them accountable. We're like John the Baptist who does address moral failures. And if we get our heads chopped off for it, so be it. But let it not be because we are a lawbreaker. He goes on. He says, this is good. What, what is good? That the church pray and support and thank God for their governing authorities. It is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Why? Who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is pleasing to God when His children are good citizens because it will lead to them being able to share Christ with all people. It will bolster our witness when we are wronged. And when the injustices happen to us, we can say that we entrust ourselves to one who is of a higher authority. And we want your good. And we want your blessing. We truly do want to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we want you to know your creator in heaven who made you and sustained you. And there is a better way under the lordship of Christ. That's actually what Paul said in Acts 17, isn't it? Pastor Brian read this. 
Paul is standing in the Areopagus with all the ideas of the world swirling. He's in the heart of philosophy in Athens. And he says, and he, that's God, made from one man every nation. There's societies right there. Of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling. He determined the borders of the United States, in other words. He determined when they would constitute, and he will determine when we end. Why? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Why has God orchestrated and raised up kings and removed kings and princes and rulers and established every government and society and boundaries and periods of existence so that people may seek and find him? And this is what we want out of our state. Our ultimate goal and prayer for our government should be that we want it to give us the freedom to worship, and proclaim the gospel until Christ returns. Do your job well so we can save people from eternity apart from God. Is this how you view the state? Or are you merely banking in for temporal reasons? We want to be good citizens here in the temporal vote. We want, to, we want to uphold what is righteous. We want to bemoan and cry and weep when we do see injustices occur. But ultimately, we're entrusting ourselves to the one who judges justly and will establish a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's the kind of people we're to be. And so as Paul said, let us humbly submit to our governing authorities and be good citizens to the worship and praise of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, much here, much we haven't been able to cover, but Lord, we do cry out to you as our sovereign Lord and King who rules and reigns over all people and all those in high positions. We thank you for those who are godly men and women in a place's authority. We thank you for those good police officers and those good mayors and governors and senators. And, and when we have good presidents, Lord, we thank you that those who uphold what is right and good and as you have determined in this world. And Lord, we cry out to you and we, we look at those same structures and we can point out abuses and evil men and women in places of authority and, and where injustices occur and, and where rights are not... Uh, our wrongs are not made right and there's weeping families who, who cry out when they have been wronged and lives have been taken from them. And Lord, we, we've exhausted every opportunity to stop these horrific things in the world and it doesn't seem like it's getting any better. Lord, we entrust our souls to you. And Lord, we are waiting your kingdom. We are waiting for your return when you will you will put to end every injustice. Lord, until that day, may we entrust ourselves to you. May we be good citizens. So that if we suffer, let it be for the name of Christ. No other reason. And it's in his name.